Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 the innovators network welcome to the heart of innovation 60 minutes that can save life and limb with new breakthrough ideas and innovation changing the healthcare landscape Brought to you by patient advocacy group, thewaytomyheart.org. In partnership with Cardiovascular System Incorporated's patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show Today, we're going to really get back to the roots of this show, why Dr. Phillips and I came together to start this, which was all about education for the patients and empowering the patients. And so in this next hour, we're going to hear a lot of patient experiences and offer information that will help not only empower them, but also empower you to take control of your health. The topic as seems to be, you know, a lot these days is about peripheral artery disease and people's experience with that. Three in five people who suffer a heart attack have plaque buildup in their leg arteries. And it's really important to have the doctor check your leg pulses, check your foot pulses to see if that blood is flowing there because that can be an indication of your risk of not only a heart attack and stroke, but also your risk of amputation. And so... Um, you know, if you do have it, most people never even need to be treated. But the whole key to PAD and management and living a longer, healthier life is really early diagnosis and early frontline treatment of medication and lifestyle modifications. And we're going to get into that. I'm not sure exactly, John, where this conversation is going to go and how it's going to unfold we're going to let the patients and their stories really but dictate, but I think that, the that's real the foundation that's, is going to be, what are the critical the, questions to ask your doctor? And, you know, how do you live a longer, healthier life with a chronic illness such as PAD or any other arterial right. disease? I mean, that, that's, that's the beauty of live TV or live TV. Well, live YouTube, live radio. But I mean, this... This topic, as we were talking about before the show started, there's a lot of meat on this bone. We could talk for days about it. I right. am excited to hear from uh, you know folks that are listening that have PAD, what their experience is. But you know, the reason you do what you do, and the reason why I got involved and started Save My Piggies and do what I do, and Dr. Gupta is going to be joining us as well. What he does is that, you know, we want to help people um, and we want to, we take an oath and not to get too corny, but, you know, first do no harm. Right. And so we want to do what's right for the patient in their best interest. That gives them um, a, the ability to lead a healthy, productive life 
Um, and oftentimes we have to do procedures. Oftentimes we don't have to do procedures, but the Save My Piggies movement is about education and, um, raising awareness for the patient with respect right. to PAD. I'm, I'm so, I'm sick of seeing patients who would, they'll tell, I mean, it, it happens all the time. You know, it started with me cutting my toenail and now I'm missing my leg. Like that just shouldn't happen. And, and so, that happens all too often. It does. It, it does. And like, it just makes no sense to me. And I've said this before. Uh, you know, Kim, you're a woman. If if you felt a lump in your breast or something, you would say this is not right. But yet people yeah. will have a black foot and think, hmm, I saw a guy yesterday and his foot is like, you know, he's going to need an amputation. We'll probably be able to save the the leg, but not the, the toes. And I was like, what? you know what happened here and he's just like i, I don't know you know like it doesn't i don't know it doesn't make sense to me it's frustrating and hopefully we can shed some light by just hearing from patients today and our listeners as to what their experiences have been and i think it's going to to vary um you know across the board so let's get things started let's just get a moment of inspiration before we start unfolding a lot of these stories spectacular vascular moment of inspiration (laughs) so kim yeah you know again i i hope you had a good week i I had a a good week as well it's been we're short-staffed in our cath lab and my partner mike jolly and i we we're man in the ship, so to speak, for the whole week. And I was just counting. I'm on call today again. I've been on call like seven of the last nine days, which is really uncommon, but we're really short staff. And, you know, I'm feeling sorry for myself. And, and, you know, simultaneously, I'm listening to an audio book about the USS Indianapolis and your dad is a Navy guy. So I'm, I know he knows the story, but for those who don't know the story, this was a ship that was torpedoed at the end of World War II, so July of 1945, and there were almost 1,200 men, and uh, only 316 survived, and about 900 of them were soaking in the Philippine Sea for five nights, getting eaten by sharks, dehydrated, and yeah. you know just struggling to survive. And so one of the survivors was quoted as saying this, quote, some surrendered to the moment, but not but did not give up a key distinction. And so in life, like there are certain things we can't control. Right. Obviously, these guys can control their ship going down, but they can control whether or not they're going to give up. Same thing with folks with PAD, same things with folks with any other medical illness. Yeah, things happen. And hopefully today we're going to talk about how to prevent some of these things and just reiterate reducing risk, but you can't give up. And so we're going to hear from patients and and listeners who have not given up. Right. I hope. Yeah, no. And I think that's so important when it comes to PAD. And I want to bring in Dr. Ashish Gupta out of Florida Cardiology. He is our patient champion, actually, with The Weight of My Heart, which is our nonprofit, which advocates for patients with PAD. Um, not only our patient champion, but actually patients voted him as doctor of the year, which we haven't officially announced in public. Well, I guess I just did. Uh, but he is there for our patients 24-7 and provides them with critical, um, you know, advice, critical questions to discuss with their doctor um, in, in terms of getting diagnosed or getting the appropriate medical treatment that aligns with society standards for PAD. So, Dr. Gupta, thank you so much for being here. 
Hey, thanks, Kim, and thanks, uh, Dr. Phillips, for uh, having me on and uh, looking forward to the discussion and uh, see how we can uh, help the folks uh, who've joined in. Fantastic. Yeah, I think we're going to hear a wide variety of stories from people who um, either were not diagnosed early, as you mentioned, John, they didn't get diagnosed with PAD or artery blockages until they were a toe stub away from amputation. One minute they're getting a pedicure and the next minute their foot is black with gangrene and they have to have their leg cut off. And it was like, whoa, where did that come from? And so many of our patients also have diabetes and end up with diabetic neuropathy, which more than 80% of people with diabetic neuropathy have some sort of circulation issue that is leading to the neuropathy. And if only they were sent to a vascular specialist sooner to address that issue, maybe their limb might have been saved. Um, But then by the same token, you have another set of of patients who are ending up with amputation because they have a revolving door of procedures and one procedure leads to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, without anyone saying, whoa, stop for a second. Let's figure out what's causing it. So we and mitigate those risk factors so that we don't have to continue having procedures to unblock or improve blood flow. Yeah, I mean, the key is reducing risk. I firmly believe that, you know, there are certain things that you can't prevent, but there are, with respect to cardiovascular disease that encompasses PAD and coronary disease and and also, you know, carotid disease, which can cause stroke, we can prevent a lot of this, frankly, if, if we got our act together and changed the way we eat, um, actually really thought about lowering cholesterol. Um, if you, I know we've only got like 30 seconds left, so we'll talk about this uh, coming back from the break, but there is a lot that each individual person can do to keep themselves out of the physician's office or particularly off the cath lab table at the surgical table and, and not have to have a procedure done on their legs. Thank you for tuning into the Heart of Innovation on 868M, The Answer. We will return after these messages. Leg health can indicate risk for heart attack, stroke, and amputation. If you have leg pain or cramps while walking, get checked for peripheral artery disease or PAD. PAD is plaque buildup in mainly the leg arteries. Be sure to ask your physician for an ankle brachial index, also called an ABI test, where they use blood pressure cuffs to analyze the blood pressure in your legs. If they discover you have arterial plaque that's limiting blood flow to your feet, medicine and a regimented walking program are frontline treatment. If PAD is in its advanced stages, your physician may schedule a surgical intervention. Minimally invasive tools are available to remove plaque and restore blood flow, including cardiovascular system's Diamondback 360 atherectomy system, which sands away plaque that is a hard calcium. It's important to discuss all options with your physician, and if told you have no options, get a second opinion. Take a stand against amputation. For more information, go to standagainstamputation.com. That's standagainstamputation.com. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Today we are talking about treatment options for peripheral artery disease, and it is the circulation issue and mainly the leg arteries that can lead to amputation. And there are, there are a lot of reasons why amputation, you know, can occur. Number, you know, 
when it comes to this. And, you know, you can mitigate your risk for amputation by getting on the right medications, modifying your risk factors, um, such as smoking, getting your sugar under control, better diet and walking a lot more. Um, right, John? But, yes. you know, yeah. so many patients, maybe that's that's not enough. But so, well, also, if you're going to start with interventions and bypasses and other and amputation to stop the revolving door of those, you still need to get a handle on those risk factors. Right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so first of all, before we went to break, which, um, you know, I, I, I guess I know what it feels like to be uh, winning my Oscar and then, you know, having them just go to commercial as you're talking. So, I mean, I, I'm 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 really I'm one step closer, Kim, to being an Emmy Award winning <laughs> journalist. Um, no, but having, we, we were talking about risk factor reduction. Right. So, I mean, think about what you can do. What's so a huge cause of PAD is tobacco use. So don't smoke diabetes. Now, now um, you can't prevent being a type one diabetic, but type two diabetics, which are everywhere, we can prevent that. Okay. There are things that we can do and we can, um, you know, just get control of your blood sugar, get control of your diet um, and, and eat healthy blood pressure. We can control that. Right. There's a lot we control cholesterol. I mean, all these things we can, we can control, but the patients, they have to go to the doctor. They have to be willing to kind of buy in and, and, and kind of commit to, to this discipline of taking care of themselves. And this is why you do what you do and why we do what we do to try to help folks. And we really believe in, in frontline therapy. I want to tie in Dr. Ashish Gupta because he is a big proponent of frontline therapy being medication and modifying those, those risk factors. And we had a patient that was in Florida that I called him and said, oh, my gosh, we have had four hospitals that have said this person needs this incredibly invasive bypass, an aorto bifemoral bypass, which bypasses the blood flow from the aorta all the way down to the legs, right? And and the, you end up with a cut from abdomen to legs, and it's a bitty, bit, really big procedure. And four different hospital vascular surgeons said, hey, you need this. And I called Dr. Gupta, and I said, you know what? It's really interesting, Dr. Gupta. They want to do this procedure at all these different hospitals, but no one has bothered to look at her medical history and realize that her medications have changed. She's not on the anticoagulant and antiplatelet therapy that she was on that lasted her for 15 years. They took her off for some reason and they won't go back to it. And he said, oh, my gosh, you're right. Um, let's try and get that medical therapy back. And we were able to avoid she has no cuts down her legs now that they have the medications correct. Right, Dr. Gupta? Yes, yes. And that, that's the key. I mean, like we said in the beginning, you know, doing an intervention is easy. The biggest challenge is when not to do the intervention and what we can do to prevent the intervention from happening. So, you know, doing no intervention in my mind, and I'm sure Dr. Phyllis will agree with me, is to not do an intervention. Um, and, and maximizing the medical therapy, trying to figure out what is the underlying cause of why this patient is having, you know, a problem. I think that's the key. And, and having a frank discussion uh, with your physicians 
and really advocate uh, yourself, you know, like, hey, what is going on? You know, it doesn't, you know, it's okay if we have to make two or three visits with the doctor, but, you know, be your own advocate. And then, um, you know, we can find the uh, solution to a problem and hopefully prevent uh, a major uh, surgery um, and get you a good quality of life. Yeah, there are a lot of, you know, there's a lot of media and a lot of buzz out there about too many interventions being done. And when we talk about interventions, we talk, we mean the wires going in through a small puncture into the artery with a balloon. They dilate the balloon to push it aside. They have other devices called atherectomy devices that remove some of the plaque. And it's great if you have a full blockage, you're completely symptomatic to the point where you have tried medical therapy and insurance companies require three months of getting on the right medications and a rigid walking program and smoking cessation is really important for, for many patients as well. Um, but if you have that intervention, great, you're going to have an intervention, but you're going to end up with another and another and another and another if you don't mitigate those risk factors, if you don't get on the right medication therapy, if and, and you need to go back to your doctor, right, Dr. Gupta, in three months, I even had, I talked to Dr. James Antizana, a vascular surgeon out of North Carolina today, who was saying that he, when he starts a patient on medical therapy, on medication, he actually has a follow-up appointment a month later to check on whether or not symptoms are improving with that medication, which I find very interesting. And I think that that should be done a lot more because sometimes, let's say, with Plavix, which is an antiplatelet therapy, well, maybe that's not as effective in one patient versus another. So you really got to make sure those medications are right. Yeah, I'll just interject real quick and then want to hear what Dr. Gupta has to say. But everybody is every patient is different. And so you have to tailor the medication specific to the patient and to their disease process. I mean, getting really granular about it. I mean, Plavix is indicated for certain things and um, it may be overused, may be underused. But as what Dr. Gupta was saying, it's important, I think, to exhaust all conservative yet aggressive medical options for the patient before you advance to considering, um, you know, an angiogram in, in, a, in a stable patient who has pain when they walk. It's different when they have ulcers or things of that nature, because um, then you have to actually do something to try to improve their blood flow. Yeah, I agree. Um, so uh, I think we are getting ready to the break. Um, but, you know, to the point, um, uh, when I start patients on certain specific medications, I try to get them to see me uh, within two to four weeks, uh, especially if I uh, anticipate that there might be some changes to, say, their renal function or their glycemic control. Um, then you definitely want to have an early uh, follow up to see how the patient is responding uh, to a particular therapy. Thank you for tuning into the Heart of Innovation on A68M, The Answer. We will return after these messages. Three years ago, my symptoms started with leg pain and leg cramps while walking. Me too, with a tightness in my calves. Well, do you know, my doctor thought that my leg cramps were a side effect of the statin he prescribed me. Well, my doctor just brushed them off as another symptom of old age. Mine thought the pain was radiating from my spine. 
My doctor blamed my neuropathy on diabetes until I got a wound on my foot that just wouldn't heal. Yeah, it turns out we all have peripheral artery disease, also known as PAD. It's plaque buildup mainly in the leg, arteries causing poor circulation. For me, the diagnosis came too late and I lost my leg, but that does not have to happen to you. No, it does not, because there are treatment options available if you're diagnosed early enough. PAD, peripheral artery disease. If you've been experiencing leg pain, leg cramps, or neuropathy when walking, and your doctor isn't hearing you, we are. We are the way to my heart, the largest support network for peripheral artery disease patients. And we want to help you get back on your feet again. Visit our website at thewaytomyheart.org or call our LegSaver hotline, 415-320-7138. Your life and limb could depend on it. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. So, Kim, what do you say we hear from some of our listeners and patients about their struggles with, with PAD? I think that'd be great. Joyce, do you want to chime in? Joyce is on the line. What would you like to share, Joyce? I had an ABI done in March, the 1st of March. I fell. I had a whole bunch of issues going on. I haven't been able to walk as much as I used to because now my buttocks is hurting as well as my feet and my legs. I have neuropathy. I have not heard back from my doctor, but I have a September 1st uh, appointment. Where do I stand up for myself and just say, can I come in earlier? Because it doesn't seem to be having that one-on-one approach. Uh, Do I wait to see my cardiologist and put everything together before the September 1st meeting? So to take care of yourself, that's my question. Where do I jump in and talk with the doctors to say, I need help now? The neuropathy is really bad. You know what? That's interesting. We hear this a lot because there's a balance between, you know, people who are getting treated too soon and then people not getting treated soon enough. And how do you end up balancing that with such an overburdened healthcare system uh, around the world where they have to prioritize those patients, John, that you were talking about that have are a toe step away from amputation Mm -hmm. with an ulcer, with that gangrene. And here you have Joyce that could be on her way to that in another month. But they can't get her in because there's so many of these other patients. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, I can just say in my practice right now, just due to how how um, you know short staffed we are, I, I think my next new patient is like in November or December or something, which that doesn't get it done. So we have to figure out ways to have pop off clinics or pop off valves to see patients, and a lot of like what you said is triage. I mean, hopefully, Joyce. Yes, your symptoms are lifestyle limiting, it sounds like, but you're not in a threat with respect to losing a toe or losing a leg. Um, And it's a struggle. I mean, we we try to, to, uh, you know, help as many patients as we can and see as many patients as we can. But it just the the system is not uh, allowing that allowing for us to get that done, frankly. And it's 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 difficult. So to answer your question, what do you do? 
Um, you know, obviously I would keep the appointment that you have in September. Um, if, if your cardiologist is so inclined to, to potentially discuss the peripheral arterial disease, I think it's a great way to have that conversation. But oftentimes, I mean, think about it. They, you know, it's a 15 or 10 minute time block to see you. And that, that also encompasses us charting and doing orders and things. And so when you think about it, you're probably face to face with your doctor for just a few minutes and it's hard to, for them to get all those questions answered. And they, they probably, you know, they have an agenda too. Like, you know, you're probably seeing them for something specific. And, you know, a lot of times we put that burden on the primary care doctors, but they're overwhelmed as well. So I, there's no real good answer, but, you know, I would just, you know, have a list of questions, maybe a handful that you want, definitely want answered. And I think that can help steer the conversation of the initial visit. Dr. Gipton, do you want to chime in? Yeah. <laughs> so I think, no, that's a great point. So, uh, so like John said, you know, when you go to your physician's office, we are uh, struggling for time as well. So it's a really good idea to have a set of questions um, which you want to discuss and uh, to answer your specific question, I think, um, I don't know who uh, requested the ABIs, but if you're having, um, you know, issues and, you know, struggling with pain, it's not an unreasonable thing to call your uh, PCP's office or your cardiologist's office and say, hey, if you have any opening, uh, maybe uh, they could get you in sooner or potentially even have a telemedicine visit with you. Um, to answer, you know, some of your questions or uh, discuss the results of your ABI testing and see if you need any other imaging. Uh, Sounds like you had a fall which triggered everything, so you want to make sure that there is no other orthopedic or musculoskeletal issue which might be contributing to your symptoms. Um, So I would give them a call, see if they could uh, get you in um, sooner, you know, either through your PCP or your cardiologist's office. Thank you for tuning into the Heart of Innovation on 860 AM, The Answer. We will return after these messages. Medical Notepad, brought to you by patient advocacy organizations, take a stand against amputation, and the way to my heart. I. I'm Ophir Isaac, Doctor of Physical Therapy with All Care Physical Therapy in Brooklyn, New York, and the Neurocorrective Wellness Institute with this week's medical notepad. I want you to imagine your body as an engine, and inside that engine is a furnace, just like a bonfire. And your body needs fuel to keep the fire burning, and that fuel is your food. Stop thinking of food as something you need uh, to deal with emotional problems, something you need to satiate your hunger. Food is fuel. Food, if eaten right at the right times in the right combinations, is the secret to success for losing weight, maintaining good behaviors in your body so that your immunology goes up, you don't get sick from diseases and other things like that, and also will keep a balance of what they call a better body mass index, which is what we measured you for. Body mass index is basically your lean body mass to your fat mass. And so the key is to keep your lean body mass high in your engine, and lean body mass is made of muscle, right? So the more muscle mass you have, you may be heavier on a scale, but it's better mass than fat mass because fat is 
the stuff that kills you, that causes cancer, that causes diseases, that makes our hearts not pump well because our arteries and our vessels cannot operate with all the fat in our body. So it's number one is that we are going to increase our lean body mass and we're going to do it using these fuels. Okay, so here are the fuels. These are called macronutrients in the world of clinical nutrition. And so let's talk about macronutrients in a very simple way. Fuel number one, protein. Protein is the meats like turkey, chicken, uh, any sort of meat, okay? Uh, and also eggs. Those are proteins, all right? Simple. Um, fish is protein as well. Uh, let's talk about the fats. There are good fats and bad fats. The good fats are uh, poly and monounsaturated fats, which just basically means that they're liquefied fats in uh, room temperature and our body uses them as grease, okay? Think of it that way, like the oils of our body to make everything move, slide and glide, but also they're healthy for our uh, cholesterol and clean our blood out. Um, and one of those fats would be olive oil, okay? It's liquid in room temperature. Another one would be avocado or avocado oil. It's liquefied and soft, okay? Uh, bad fats uh, have a lot of bonds in them and they're hard to break up in our body. Those would be butter, uh, margarines, um, anything like uh, lard or anything of that nature because those fats will clog us up. And as we age, our arteries, which are pipes, get clogged up and rusty and become even worse off. So we don't want... Uh, to clog up our arteries by eating those fats. Then there's trans fats, and we know what those are. Um, those are fried foods, and those things create little lumps inside of our blood. Um, the fried foods would be donuts and anything that's greasy, and uh, we really don't want to put any of that fried food, like uh, fried chicken and other things like that. So we want healthy fats, uh, not to have healthy fats as well. Let's go over to the carbohydrates, the dreaded carbs. Carbs are crap. Remember those words. Crap, candy, cookies, and other crap like pastas, rices, and breads, and all of the different things with yeast in it, and starch, potatoes, uh, yucca, um, all those yeasty things and starchy things that turn into sugar in our body. So carbs are what we want to drop. Why? Because our bodies um, require a certain percentage of carbs, a certain percentage of proteins, and a, pro a certain percentage of fats to operate as fuel to keep us going. The advice and views offered are my own. Always check with your healthcare team before acting on any of the information in this video. For more information on how to improve strength, mobility, and circulation, check out my site at www.allcarept.com. Medical Notepad is a series for educational and informational purposes only. Advice offered is not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this series without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. For more information on peripheral artery disease, go to StandAgainstAmputation.com and for peripheral artery disease support, go to 
thewaytomyheart.org. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. We're talking about peripheral artery disease and treatment options for those blocked arteries and mainly the legs. And there is a major problem with So many patients that are not getting diagnosed soon enough until they end up with a cut from a pedicure and their foot turns black and then they go, whoa, I think I have a problem. But there's also another issue leading to amputations, and it is just so many different um, procedures, interventions, bypasses, and even amputations themselves and the amputations being done without any attempt to restore blood flow. And I think during the break, John, you were brought up a good point. There's just a lack of standardization for the treatment, diagnosis and treatment for peripheral artery disease, which puts it in the patient's hands to say, hey, stop, wait a minute, and take their health into their own hands and ask the right questions to say, whoa, doc, we need to take a break. Yeah, I mean, I'm an interventional cardiologist, as is Dr. Gupta, and I'm interested to hear what his thoughts are. But from a cardiology standpoint, I mean, we have appropriate use criteria for doing procedures, meaning putting stents in folks. We're seeing patients who have symptoms and, you know, they have had the appropriate workup. The boxes have been checked for the appropriate medications. We know that stents relieve symptoms in patients who are not in the throes of a heart attack. They don't make patients live longer. They don't prevent heart attacks. So we know what to do. And the stents last a long time. I mean, frankly, it's conceivable that you could have a stent put in and maybe never need another repeat procedure in that artery. That is not the same in PAD patients. Mm -hmm. I tell patients, and and I think, you know, I would say 90% of my patients who undergo a procedure whether it's for claudication, meaning pain when they walk, or really if they have an ulcer, they're going to get another procedure. And that's not because I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing. It's just because the durability isn't there. Um, And then, so you've got lack of durability. I mean, we've made huge advances in endovascular, meaning non-surgical ways to help these patients. And and I don't want to disparage surgery is needed a lot of times. I mean, surgery works, but you know, there's just we have uh, kind of uh, algorithms on how to treat patients for coronary disease. We don't really have good algorithms for PAD. And then, you know, patients are confused. Us as physicians are confused and not to go down a, a rabbit hole. But, you know, back in 2019, we were we use balloons that have a, a medication on them that help reduce the scar tissue buildup. We call it restenosis. We're using a lot of them. All of a sudden, a paper comes out and says, well, wait a second, maybe there's an increased mortality signal in this. So then that put the pause on us using this therapy. And it scared a lot of physicians because, you know, we don't want to hurt people. We don't want them to die from this procedure. All of us knew that this was just kind of a weird glitch in the analysis of the data. And finally, like last week, the FDA came out and said, you're right, there is no increased mortality. So, you know, you can go back and use these things without being concerned for the most part. And we get conflicting information about is it better to have bypass surgery in someone who has an ulcer or is it better to have balloons or stents? You know, what is it? And so 
it, it, we're we're a little like you, you know um, just conf- we're confused. <laughs> we're kind of like schizophrenic. But you know what is so consistent is the fact that if the key is mitigating those risk factors. We have to go back to that. Making yeah. sure you're on the right medication therapy, making sure that you're changing your diet, stopping the smoking, getting the diabetes under control, and on a regular walking regimen because the best medicine for PAD is walking and growing your own collateral network. And when we have a patient that's faced with a procedure, what we always tell them is you need to say, hey, doc, we're not going from zero to hero to here. I don't need a whole new artery. What I need is just enough more flow to get me to a point where I can walk further so I can grow my collateral network of vessels. Just kiss it with a balloon, doc, if you're going to go in and perform an intervention. Just give me that much more flow. It'll get the a little bit more pain relief and I can walk further. Yeah, I mean, again, but you do that procedure, they'll, they'll, they'll probably. So I'm going to take you one step further and say we need to start hitting people in their late 20s, early 30s and say, you know, OK, we talk about a metabolic syndrome where it's, you know, cholesterol and waist circumference and things of that nature. There's a lot of folks that have metabolic syndrome out there that are going to be diabetic. And there's a lot of people that are pre-diabetic that are going to be diabetic, but they just don't kind of, we're such a reactive society and, and everything's yeah. reactive with medicine. And to, to your point, if you get to these people, a lot of times, by the time we see them, they have blockages. They've, you know, smoked their whole life. They have diabetes. It's really hard to reverse that train. You can, but we've got to get to these folks earlier and earlier and earlier and then continue to do stuff like this and and hit people on you know where where we can prevent this from happening i see so Dr. I, I actually i actually want to um ask the patients um you know it's very easy for physicians to say hey don't smoke you know eat proper diet you know take x number of medications So we know, like, you know, there are obviously financial constraints when we, uh, you know, prescribe certain group of medications, you know, they are expensive medications, but the lifestyle modification and smoking cessation, that's where I struggle. You know, I will have a patient sitting in front of me and the whole room is reeking of tobacco smell, right? And this patient has severe peripheral vascular disease, coronary disease, Every single blood vessel in the body is calcified. And I'm asking the patients, like, I mean, man, you need to stop smoking. But that patient is not willing to stop smoking, right? And then the patient is expecting me to do something to mitigate his symptoms. So, so, and somebody, Susan, just mentioned the addiction. So what, what is the patient thinking? Like, how can we get through to that patient? That's what I would like to understand. Like, what is the key which the patients want me to turn so that they can change their behavior? I know it's addiction. I know it's a problem, but I mean, I, there has to be a way to yeah, change things. I think I, I don't know if I shared this story already, but the, I have a patient who has PAD. We did a CAT scan to look look for her, you know, at her aorta and blood flow, and they found lung cancer very early on. Smoker, cured her of it, okay. And two years later, she started smoking again. I mean, so yeah. this addiction is real, and I feel bad for patients. I really do, and and I feel they come to to us right and like, hey, how can you know how can you help me you know stop smoking and. 
for me, I don't, I don't know the answer. I mean, I don't think throwing medication at them is the, is the best um, option. The folks have to decide that they want to quit. But I mean, if you've been doing something your whole life, it's like brushing your teeth. It's, it's a habit and it's hard to break. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I want to bring in Marsha um, because she also she has a, a question, but she was also a former smoker and she had to make that determination um, to stop smoking. And it wasn't easy, was it, Marsha? No, it was awful. It was awful. But I did it. I mean, you know, I looked down and I saw five pink toes. I wanted to keep them. I wanted to see, keep seeing that. And it was, you know, I knew it was between smoking and, and my leg or my foot. So, but my question is, um, uh, I have, you know, I got cleaned out. I was blocked in my, a, a long blockage, I guess, from my hip to my knee. And it reached an oast in six months. They, my doctor did it again. Great doctor in Cincinnati. Um, and I'm just a little more than that was in December and I'm blocked up again and he doesn't want to do anything more. He wants me to have, he's recommending a fempop and he wants me to go see a vascular surgeon and, and I'm scared to death. I don't want to have a fempop. And I did reach out privately to Dr. Um, Gupta and he, you, you kind of said you thought that was the right thing, but I'm wondering with restenosis, like, how many times can they go in and, and what does it do to the artery if you go in too often? And, you know, I'm not smoking. I'm exercising. I've changed my diet. I'm healthy other than this. And that's a good question. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Thank you for tuning in the Heart of Innovation on 860 AM. The answer we will return after these messages. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. So, Marsha, I'll, I'll answer your question before you went. We went to break. You asked, like, how many times can we do these procedures? We can keep doing the procedure um, because the the actual like mortality of the procedure itself is very, very low. But the thing that I worry about is, is damaging the vessels beyond the blockage with debris and things. And, and so I think you have to ask yourself, how bad are your symptoms? And if they're lifestyle limiting and it's affecting you to the point where you cannot go on with this and your doctor feels like he can't open it up without using surgery, then you need surgery. Um, and, and, a, and a good, bypass graft that has vein lasts a long time um and so you know i wouldn't I, yes it's scary to have surgery but i think it sounds like you you need something if it's if it's really affecting how your what, what your quality of life is thank you yeah and i and i agree with what uh, dr phillips is saying you know if you have lifestyle limiting claudication where you are hurting constantly and you have failed you know a couple prior endovascular procedures I think if you have a good surgical conduit from the veins, you have good distal targets, that would be a very durable uh, operation. Um, and kudos to you that you've changed your lifestyle and you've quit smoking. I think that's the best uh, uh, gift you've given yourself. Um, so, so that's impressive. Um, Thank you. And, you know, I want to remind everyone that when you have an intervention, the whole idea of an intervention is literally to get you just that much more blood flow 
so that you can get out and walk and you can start growing those collateral vessels. And even if it does block again, the whole idea of it is maybe you won't need that unblocked again that you've been able to build so many collateral vessels at that point because you're walking so much further, you're walking more that you may never need another procedure. But as in Martian's case, you know, she is symptomatic and she does need to consider something, you know, beyond an intervention that might give her uh, more sustainable relief in in the long term. I want to get to, um, you know, another question that we have. Um, I want to bring in Alan. Alan, you have a a question or an experience here you want to share? We only have a couple minutes left. Yep, got uh, something simple. It's about the Lovenox we talked about. So Lovenox, so you're talking about, so Lovenox. I'm a a fast clotter or like uh, Marsha, fast mover. I'm in the cath lab every three months. And this last time I went in between a cath lab and having another cath lab, one for my heart, one for my leg, they took me off my Xeralto and I lost my leg. So they, this time around, they put me on Lovenox shots several days before this procedure I just had on Monday. What does the Lovenox do? So Lovenox is an, an injectable form of an anticoagulant, um, and it actually delivers a very kind of specific dose. So we know the dosing is is accurate, um, and it's just a it's just an anticoagulant. It's similar to Zeralto in the sense that it's an anticoagulant. They work differently, but they kind of achieve the same objectives. Okay, fantastic. You know, we we can't even get. You know, to the heart of scratching the surface of, here. Of this topic, you know, we're going to have to continue this conversation. We appreciate everyone's participation in it. This is going to be an ongoing conversation in future shows, especially during Peripheral Artery Disease Awareness Month in September. Um, we'll continue to address this. So, thank you everyone for joining us. I know there's so much more to discuss, but we are out of time. Thank have you. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Our mission is to help patients live a better quality of life through comprehensive education, real-time support, and high-touch advocacy in partnership with thewaytomyheart.org and take a stand against amputation. Our purpose is to reduce the 1.5 million heart attacks and strokes and nearly 200,000 amputations annually. For more information regarding topics you've heard discussed on today's program, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. The Heart of Innovation is for educational and informational purposes only, and advice and views shared are not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this show without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. If you think you are having a medical emergency, call your local emergency number or go to the nearest hospital or emergency room. This show is distributed by the Innovators Network. For more information and other great shows and content, visit theinnovators.network.